Welcome back to another episode of People of Product. My name is George Brooks, and on today's episode, I am excited to talk to Dr. T. I've had the pleasure to get to know Dr. T through his work with Crema, working with Form. And you've heard us talk about Form before, but they're an awesome UK consultancy that's just helped us to be better as an organization, as a creative team. And Dr. T has come in and talked to our team multiple times about things like psychological safety and burnout and things that affect the brain. And why would he be talking about the brain? Well, that's because he's a a doctor. He is an actual medical doctor uh, specializing in, and is a psychiatrist and a high-performance expert. He's also a TV doctor and is an expert in memory training. So if you ever want to see anybody memorize an entire deck of cards, Dr. T's your guy. But what we got into on today's episode was really about this post-pandemic world. We all know that work is different now. And so the question is, is how do we do this well, where we can create spaces, teams, relationships that are both psychologically safe and are not leading us to burnout? Now, a little secret. It's mostly about having intentional disciplines, but we dive into what some of those intentional disciplines might be, and I think you're going to love this conversation. So let's get right into talking with Dr. T. Dr. T, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm so excited to have you on. I want to throw it to you. Introduce yourself because I've got a chance to meet you. It's been such a pleasure, but introduce yourself to our audience. Give them a little taste of how awesome you are. Oh, George, it's so good to be here with you. So an intro, my name is Tarika. People call me Dr. T. I am a medical doctor, have been for 16 years. I specialize in medicine of the mind, which makes me a psychiatrist. But what I'm ultra passionate about doing is helping organizations understand the connection between their brain and business, their mind, action and results and, uh, you know, help people get clarity so that they can create change. They can experience better results in personal, professional life as a result. I'm based in the UK, so I live out here in Scotland and I am married. We have three little kids. And uh, right now it's really hot and sunny where I'm living. I think we're feeling both the same here in the States. So I know you have had a chance to talk to our organization before and actually unpack some ideas around what it's like to do work now, right? Mm. So when this is being recorded, when this conversation is taking place, we are in theory, God willing, on the tail end of a worldwide pandemic, where which forced us to go remote, sure. for, forced us to now rethink the way our offices work around, around how, how work gets done, hybrid, remote, or maybe some mix of that or whatever. And also has forced us in these positions where we are thinking about the amount of work we do, the pace of the work we do, the way we're communicating is all changed. I know you've been thinking a lot about this. So I want to sure. hand it to you. Tell me a little bit about what in the kind of post-pandemic workplace? What is this, what do we have in front of us now? George, such a good question. The guys at Form and I, Form, by the way, consultancy agency for businesses based in Liverpool here in the UK, really interested in this post-pandemic era. What does it mean to be working in this quote-unquote new world? Um, But what I'm particularly interested in is what does it mean to have a quote-unquote new brain? The way that our brains function in a post-pandemic world is now different 
to what it was like before. Before our brains were trained to operate in a certain way socially, we would shake our clients' hands, we would high five our friends, we would say to the person across our desk, hey, what do you think about this? And then our brains were trained to create some new habits. So if I want to ask my buddy across the desk, hey, what do you think about this? I have to send them a message on Teams or book a call. I can't knock their door or share a tangerine with them or anything like that. Certainly couldn't shake my client's hands. Everything was on a 2D screen. Like our brains have created new habits and habits are actually physical, George. If we could get into a microscope and get into our brains with that microscope, we would see lots of neurological connections, which are forms of habits and memories. So habits and memories are physical on a very brain-based level. And we've learned that now we're trying to train our way out of that. But have you not noticed it's human nature to go, do you know what? I like it here. I don't need to go back. I need to go back. But we have mixed views on that. Even as within a single individual, you're going to have a mixed bag of likes and dislikes about the new and the old world. And we want it all. And that's where it gets a bit messy. What do you think? Do Do you resonate with that? Yeah, I think that's something we're still processing through. We're at what, almost three years into this. Right. Obviously, there was a necessity up at for to recreate new habits and routines, which I'm but- totally there with you is that I'm a nerd about habits. I don't know if I've told you this before, but I actually did a my own personal journey. I had just read Charles Duhigg's Power of Habit, right? And I decided right. to go through and actually try to write down every habit that I do in a day. So everything from how do I set my, how do I wake up to my alarm? How do I snooze my alarm? How does that change if my wife's at work? Cause she's a nurse. So she goes in early. So if she's there, how do I do it? If she's not there, what do I do? What order of sequence of events do I wash my body when I take a shower? So I do my left hand first or my left arm, my right arm, my hair, et cetera. How do I dry myself up? I literally documented all of this. So I'm a nerd when it comes to habits. So I love that we went into this idea of habits because as we went into a new way of working. We saw the same thing. Whereas we had to change our habits. We had to change right. our routines. Now the right. question is, we are past the forced necessity to do it in an extreme condition like right. we were at the beginning of the pandemic. So now we're trying to say, what do those new habits look like now that we're in this new era? And yeah, mm-hmm. we're feeling that exact same thing. And honestly, we're even trying to rewrite them as leadership right now saying, how do we name this? How do we not pretend like it's just going to fix itself, but how do we name it? And that's a, I, we're in the middle of it. Like you're, this is very timely. Yeah, I think so. And what I'm about to say isn't based on data, but more so my observation and experience, which of course it's subjective and it's skewed by what we see and, and how we process it. But I don't know about you, George, but I almost feel like we're in a, a stage two of this kind of adjusting to post-pandemic work. Because I feel like stage one was actually really love this whole working from home. Actually, it's super efficient. I don't have to commute. I can do 10 meetings a day and I couldn't do that before. And I'm saving time, money, resource. And that was a view and it was very much camped around efficiency. But I yes. wonder if... Yes. We're now in this stage two where it's, okay, we win with efficiency, but we're also doing this at the cost of something else. And that cost of something Mm -hmm. else is human connection. It's human connection. It's the glue that that, that exists in organizations. It's the oxytocin in our brains that is formed when we have physical connection and are in the same 3D space and have lunch together and all kind of stuff. So I win with efficiency, but I'm also missing on some of the things that are deeply psychologically necessary for me. And now I'm asking myself, 
is this actually still a net gain or is this now a net loss? Like, I, like are the things that I'm not winning on now offsetting the benefits of efficiency? So now we walk straight into the world of things like psychological safety, trust in high performance teams, and even burnout. So it's okay, this yeah. is a really interesting world to try and navigate. What? So let's get into that because I'm curious, as you're seeing this, these new habits form, us teams are exploring the best way to do things. And I think you're absolutely right. It is this combination of human connection and efficiency, or maybe the paradox between the two. But where does that play out in someone feeling that sense, sense of potentially community or psychological safety where they feel like they can do their best work, be effective, and also feel human? What, I mean, where, how does that, how does, what are you seeing that play out as? I think we need both. I think that the brain is wired in a way to feed off progress. So whether it's checking off the boxes at home, feed the cat, hoover the floor, put up the washing, we feel good about that, or complete on project A, B, and launch our new website, we feel good about that. The brain likes progress, the brain likes to move forward, and there are a variety of benefits psychologically from that. One of those benefits from moving forward, that sense of progress, is a decrease of fear and anxiety. So we actually mm. feel good when we're moving forward. The other thing to mention, George, and this is interesting, is that good work is like medicine. When we study medicine's effectiveness, we often look at how many people does it require to dose them with this medicine so that at least one person feels treated by it. Okay, so good work has that effect on people as well. It's therapeutic. In fact, it's better to be engaged in good work than not to be working at all. So yes. there's something about the human condition that wants to move forward and make progress. So that's a big part of being human. Efficiency is part of being human. At the same time, there's a bunch of circuits in our brain, those 86 billion neurons that we have between our ears, there's circuitry, real estate in our brains that are devoted to connecting with other people, hunting for meaningful attachments. Mm. That's another important part of being human. So now the question is, how do you feed both of those core needs in a world that we are in right now. And I think the answer is compromise and not dichotomy. I don't think it's about, well, I'm a work from home person and, or actually I'm a work from office person. I think we need to do like, we need bread and water. It's not, well, I'm a water person. Oh, good for you. I'm a bread person. Actually, you need both. Okay. So it's how do you have a good diet of neurobiological and psychological need? Yeah, no. Where does that lead to psychological safety then? So when you, I'm curious how you, how you think about that term. Obviously it's used in a big broad sense right now, but it's something that's yep. really important. I think we desire to foster it, but what does yes. it actually look like in this new world? Great question. But psychological safety is when we talk about it right now, we will, those who are listening in will go, oh my goodness, this is kind this almost feels like the most fundamental thing that needs to exist between any team member, leader, manager, family member, parent, child, whatever. It's like human, it's the basis of human interaction. Simply put, psychological safety is that atmosphere of openness that exists between people, whereby folk feel safe enough to speak up, ask questions, contribute, and importantly, challenge perspectives for the benefit of the organization, for the benefit of the goal, for the benefit of the client, for the benefit of the patient in my line of work, right? In, in, in patient healthcare, for mm -hmm. example, as a doctor. Now, 
if we don't feel psychologically safe, if we feel like, if I ask this question, are they going to laugh at me? Are they going to think I am incompetent? Are they going to say, oh, for goodness sake? And so what will I do? I will experience fear in my brain. My amygdala will kick off. I'm going to probably not speak up. In fact, this is interesting, George. Junior doctors and nurses report that they find it hard to speak up in meetings when a senior member of medical staff is there. What this means is that when there is more fear in the brain, we start to underperform. We make more mistakes, we make prescribing errors, we're inefficient, and then patient care suffers. But this is transferable across all areas of science and a service rather, in the service industry, or, or the creation of products. We are less efficient when our brains are charged with fear. The thing is, if I can't see my buddy across the room from me, I'm losing all that brain data to be able to assess how do they think about me. But my, my, the, how, it's now much harder for me to feel psychologically safe with folk if they're on the end of a text message or on the end of a Slack message compared to if I'm seeing them yeah. in person. So when I don't get to have the human glue interaction bit, psychological safety is much, much harder to attain let alone challenging perspectives. Can you imagine that, doing that through a message? I disagree with what you are saying there. I think this, how much easier is it to have that conversation face-to-face? -face? So I think that psychological safety is a biggie. It's a big one. Do you think that we're, I guess then the big question, this is a big question we're all asking is, can it be done? And I mean that in a sense of we, especially as leaders, and we have a lot of leaders that listen on the podcast and they're asking this question of, I know I want to do great work. I want to recognize the efficiency, the convenience in some ways, the, even the flourishing that someone might feel working in a remote environment, but, but can it be done that we can create psychologically safe environments in this context, in this hybrid remote, et cetera, world in which that person's fear does not grow to the point where they're no longer effective. You know what I mean? Where it keeps them from feeling like they can speak up, dissent, challenge, wrestle, uh, be curious, push in, move, move ideas forward. Because at this point they're saying, what? To fade into the background is a little bit easier. Great question. I think the short answer is yes, it can be done. It comes with a few extra challenges that we don't have to experience when we're in the real world. Having said that, even before the pandemic, it's not to say that every workplace was entirely psychologically safe. We can think of tons of experiences and situations where folk are leaving jobs because they can't even bring something up with their manager or like yeah. they're suffering in silence. So psychological safety has always been an issue. It will continue to be. And yes, it can be done. The great news about psychological safety is that we can do something about it and foster higher levels of trust and psychological safety. I mean, there are simply four simple steps staircase stages to psych safety really the first is inclusion do whatever you can do to make people feel included when you show up to a party that, that the initial sort of anxiety we have which little group do i go and gel and blend in and then you're only like okay when that little group opens up they let you in and when they're chatting you're getting to chat too and you're part that's inclusion like it's a human need so number one we have to yeah. feel included can we do that in a virtual world yes i think it's possible if we're intentional mm -hmm. about it but the second one is you want to give people freedom to ask questions all right, you want to create a learner atmosphere. If people don't feel the freedom to ask questions, then that is a non-starter for people that can't learn in an environment. You can't ask, you can't learn, you can't 
you be vulnerable with what you don't know. So that's a that's the next dead stop. So it's inclusion. Am I allowed to ask questions? Again, can we foster that in a virtual environment? I think so, but you've got to be intentional. Mm -hmm. Hey guys, if you've got any questions at all after this meeting, please just shoot me an email. There is no question too stupid. The only stupid question is the one that never got asked. Right, so it's like completely laying out the red carpet for everyone to learn. Number three, do you create enough freedom to allow people to contribute? If I feel like I'm allowed to contribute, oh, I have this idea, I have that idea, I have this idea, I have that, okay, great. Like people are now starting to feel like the fabric of the team. And again, if we wind the clock back, go pre-pandemic, not everyone felt like they could, which is why doctors, nurses, and we go back to that same scenario, why can't they contribute? Because I'm afraid, okay, but can you, yeah dissolve fear virtual yes you can hey guys what do you think we should do here send guys shoot me your ideas send like it's still possible and the final part this is the hard bit is keep an openness to allow people to challenge perspectives that's the final step on the staircase and people will only challenge pers it's hard right when i know that my manager is essentially the decision maker on my position and if i get paid or not then for me to actually say, do you know what? I see it differently to you. It's a very scary thing to do psychologically, right? What, like I, being disagreeable, we've been trained from like very young years is that if we're, if clearly if you disagree, you're wrong. When actually sometimes you can see things from another angle and say, hey, I just see it from this way. What do you think? Could this work together? So challenging perspectives. And the question is, can you do that virtually? Again, yes. I think the bottom line here is that all four of these areas have to be worked on intentionally all the time to foster that culture. That would be my, my, my take. George. So maybe that think? leads to the, maybe that leads to this kind of second conversation, right? The second idea, which you mentioned was burnout, which is, I think what's right. even harder now is we are having to do the work. We're having right. to take the extra steps to communicate. We are having to make some assumptions in isolation sometimes in, in lieu of the tacit knowledge that might be shared across the desk. And also as we're trying to create psychological, psychologically safe environments between each other, our leaders, we're having to think about these four things and do them well, which then leads to, I can't do all this. I'm done. It's so talk to you a little bit about that burnout. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Burnout's a curious thing. I think that there's still, if you go Google burnout, what is burnout? I've been doing this recently, George. I'm not finding a single concrete definition on it because it's viewed from so many different angles. Burnout is a condition, but it's not a disease. Burnout is a disorder, but it's also a condition. Burnout isn't a mental illness, but it's a mental health problem. Like, okay, what is burnout? Bur burnout affects the brain. Burnout changes structure, size, and function of the brain. The burglar alarm system in your brain is called the amygdala. It's the kind of fear system. That is overactive in burnout. So it, it becomes stronger and inflates. The hippocampus is an area in your brain which allows you to learn and memorize. And that, sh that becomes weaker. So now like I'm less effective in, okay, I picked up some tasks from that Zoom meeting. What were they? But also the prefrontal cortex, which sits behind your forehead thins. And then that means that like your impulse control is dysregulated and you can be more snappy and irritable and the smallest negative thing can blow you up. So my view on burnout is whether we call it a disease disorder, condition, whatever, like your brain changes. And that means you feel different. And burnout it then is an all-engulfing exhaustion. You feel ineffective. You feel disengaged from your work and all the rest of it. And interestingly, post-pandemic, we've seen more of it. We've seen more mm. of it. Yeah. What is 
as you have been working with teams or individuals, what's something that in this post-pandemic world, what's been some ways that people have addressed this or at least pressed in to say, yeah, we know it's real. We know it's happening. We know it's probably amplified by you know that plus everything else that's going on in the world but how what are things that you're seeing teams are finding effective to not there so there's a spectrum and I'm going to I'm going to go off on a rabbit trail for a second because one of the yeah, things that I think leaders it. are scared of and even myself I'm scared of this is that you don't want to over index and go it's fine you don't have to work you don't have to do anything even hitting results not super important like you, you just you take lots of time, go take a six-week vacation or whatever. I'm exaggerating a bit, but there's this feeling that you almost have to over-index. What's an effective way or effective tactics that can help someone to say, I need our team, our organization has to deliver on our purpose. This is why we exist. We need to keep that moving forward, but we want to be mindful of the psychological safety of our people, as well yep. as the burn, the real burnout that can and does and is happening. So how? what yes. are some things that have been helpful as folks are exploring this? That is an awesome question. It's, it's an awesome question because it takes us back to the work is good medicine analogy. If you think about any medicine mm. here in the UK, we call it paracetamol. It's a painkiller. There is a good way to use it. I'm, right. I've, got so, I've got sore knee, whatever, sore tumic, stomach. I look at the dosing of this and the frequency of it and I follow it and it's a good way to use it. However, that same medicine that can treat me if I misuse it can poison me. And the same is with work. Mm-hmm. So work is good. If you use work in the right way and this is a good fit, then the correct usage of work for you psychologically, mentally, and all that kind of stuff is good. But if work is done wrong, in inverted commas, then it's going to be toxic. And I think that's the thing here. To kind of double down on that point you made about managers want to help with this, and at the same time, there's a bit that scares them. I think the bit that scares them is we have all pandemonium break loose. So number one, I have too many people that I can handle that crawl out the woodwork saying, oh my goodness, I'm burnt out. What do I do about that? There are people that aren't burnt out, but they've over-indexed it and go, do you know what? I'm actually tired and I probably have burnout as well. It's like, how do I manage that? And what about the people who are burnt out that won't admit it and are grinding away? And so we don't get what we call absenteeism, but we get presenteeism. They're ill, but they show up mm-hmm. to work and they're ineffective. So there's all these different issues. So what are people doing to make things better? The short answer is that this is actually work in progress. I'm seeing some organizations that are addressing this and some are organizations who are right at the very, very beginning of this journey, some that are not on the journey and some that are actually doing real well. One really important part is to acknowledge that burnout is a real thing. That's like the first, that's a really important step. So that can look like a team uh, training day for example, that, hey guys, what is burnout? How does it affect the brain? Does it really have an impact on work? And is there anything that we can do about it? So getting people on the same page going, what, post-pandemic, we're seeing burnout is like a silent killer of work, life, going wild around the planet. I don't know about you, but for many of us that I've seen over here, we've erased the line between work and rest. It's eight o'clock at night. I've just done my dinner, put the kids to bed, and now I'm back on my emails because I'm not really sure I finished my day. So the workload is potentially higher than before, potentially. Have a team training day. The other thing is that you want to empower people to handle burnout. You don't want it to become a manager's issue in itself, but that's a bad place to be. All right, I feel burnt out, and so therefore it's my organization's fault, and it's all your responsibility to clear it up. So I think that the change is a two-pronged attack. What can I do about it, and what can my 
workplace environment due to shift and adjust and change. So what can I do about it? There's things that we have to revisit. The people-pleasing bit of us. that I can't say, no, I'm, overta- I'm overdoing Not being able to set boundaries. So I need to polish up on my boundary and boundary discipline. I've recently got my second phone back up and running and I've pushed all my work emails onto one phone and that phone gets switched off and goes on in the drawer uh, when I hit like nighttime. And my personal phone doesn't have anything now work-related. Not even my social media is on my personal phone, believe it or not, George. So it's just like complete break. But then, yes, of course, like what can the workplace do to adjust? Some a part of that is having clear channels of communication, inviting employees to check in with their managers about this, managers asking about this, and actually also having helplines within work that can connect professionals outside that can just create space to, to help people do that. Anyway, that, that, was, that was a fair bit in there, but I just wanted for those that are listening in, give them some practical takeaways. No, I think that's super helpful because as we're talking to, again, most of our audience is in the product world, right? So they're thinking about the fact that there's deadlines to hit, there's a milestone, that we've got a roadmap that we're moving towards getting something launched, right? And that launch is critical to every other team in the organization for marketing and sales and support that's going to need to make sure that it's being done. Always this pressure where it's not just like the convenience of maybe getting something done and at the timeline gets moved. So there's these constant pressures. And I think that your advice on really naming it, recognizing that it's real, giving people space to know how to self-manage it, because that, that tension between, we hear this a lot, the tension between the responsibility of the organization, and I would put management in that kind of responsibility bucket, And then the responsibility of the individual contributor. What can you own yourself as to say, I know my own boundaries. I know what I can do and what I can't do. I'm going to be thoughtful about what I say yes to back at the beginning so that I don't get burned out at the end. And I think that's really key. But I think what I want to affirm on both the psychological safety spectrum and on the burnout subject is you really cue this up to remind ourselves that this is about intentionality. It's about discipline. It's about self like your little trick with the two phones or with social media not being on your phone. I, all right, I'll just say it. I like TikTok. I know I'm yep. 40, almost 40. I'm not supposed to like TikTok. That's supposed to be for kids. It's fascinating. You're allowed to. to. You're from, allowed a social, to. Right. from a social experiment standpoint, it's fascinating. But <laughs> yeah. I also know, I know it's addicting. So Monday through Friday, okay. I delete it from my phone. It's not like I turn off the notifications. Okay. It is removed right. from my phone. And then I'm allowed, I basically allow myself to look at it on Saturday. I don't really use my phone on Sunday because that's family time. So I I have to, but it's a discipline. It is an intentionality that that most people aren't willing to go there. They're not willing to do the hard work of that intentional self-reflection, self-discipline work that you're talking about. I think you're right. And sometimes the best time to put discipline in place is before it becomes absolutely critical that you need it. Yes. Yeah. What, so along that line, what are things, and there's two questions I always like to get to with anybody that we're talking to is, yeah, we talked about some ways that people can do this. What are examples where it's not done? What are examples of where either the individual contributor themselves or the team or the manager is, they have the best of intentions, but they're just missing the mark. 
Maybe they really want to make a psychologically safe environment, but they're doing a bunch of things that actually are doing the opposite. What's something that they get wrong when they're trying to put in this practice of being thoughtful about these things? I think it's it's down to this idea of repetition of good habit or repetition of discipline so it becomes habit. And I think that's the issue. So you might go to a training day and you learn all the right stuff and you're in full agreement with it, but give it two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, and you start defaulting back to your own habits because you're not reapplying what you learned. I think that's that that's probably the most common thing for anyone if you're human. We're very mm-hmm. good at defaulting back to what we find natural or the law of entropy as it were emotionally. We're very good at becoming anxious, fearful and angry. It doesn't take much for us to get there. But to stay self-controlled, to stay calm, to stay empathetic, that requires a higher level of emotional energy. And so like the default for any of us is we're going to get messier. We get rough around the edges. But unfortunately, when we are like that with other people, what that does is that people get their fingers burnt on the hot stove with you and then that decreases psychological safety. Might go to a a great training session, but three weeks down the line, you're in a meeting and you start swearing it because you're so frustrated or you shout at someone or you snap or you just focus on all the negatives. These are great ways to destroy trust in a team. So I think it's, you aren't going to get a six pack from one set of crunches. It's actually the repetition of the exercise combined with diet and sleep and all that kind of stuff that gives you the results. So I think it's about repetition of good habits. Okay. And then final question, what's something you're excited about as you start to look at this post-pandemic world, as you start to look at your space with being in this medical space, but also being really close to being with teams. I know you spend a lot of times with teams. What's something that you go, this is giving me hope. I'm because I like, there's a lot to be worried about in the world, right? And we've got countless things happening both globally, locally, mm. personally. What's right. something that's giving you hope? I like to end on a positive note for things that you're going, I'm seeing that there's something to be optimistic about. Do you know, I am starting to find that people are now extra grateful for authentic relationship. Like we've mm. done a few years in the underground bunker. And now when you sit down to call with call, I sat down, my wife and I met with a friend today. We sat down for coffee Uh, and he's a bit, he's a bit of a coach actually. So we were like in a bit of a coaching dynamic, but it was just so lovely to be there uh, and to give him a hug and to actually feel paper. I'm just so grateful for like authentic human connection and feel like the, the we got a couple of things going on we're innovating tech innovation is skyrocketing so that is advancing and at the same time we're also more hungry to be human and, and i think that's a really nice blend and i think some really exciting stuff can be done with that i think that we're starting to we're understanding another side of human nature and human life having come out of the pandemic i think it's taught us a lot about you know what we need when we don't have human connection and how we consume things online and how we behave in a virtual world and things like that. And so I I feel like, ironically, like the gratitude for human connection in my experience has been quite high. And I think that's something really worth camping and building around. I can't give you a hug or a hi-fi right now because we are on the other side (laughs) of the world, which technology is allowing us to have. But I'm very thankful for the authentic conversation we had today. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. But I want to give you a chance, first off, to where can people learn more about you, what you're thinking about, what you're you're doing? Where can people learn more about your ways to get in touch with you? Yep. You can get in touch with me or some of the other great girls and guys that I work with at form.studio, form.studio.com. 
We're based in Liverpool in the UK and we just have a lot of fun working with organizations like yourselves at Crema being the best that you can be and, and creating impact. So that's where I want to give everybody a huge plug for Form and for Dr. T. So just so everybody, I have to like maybe disclose this. We work with Form, love Form, love everything they've done with us mm. and for us over the last couple of years, have spent a ton of time with them and built authentic relationships with them. Dr. T has been incredibly gracious to come on and speak to our entire company and our team. Walk us through these topics, which we, it was timely. Multiple people said, I needed to hear this now. So if you, if this makes sense for you to reach out to someone like Forum, do it. Um, reach out to them and build a relationship that might lead to really helping you to run your teams and have more effective teams. So thank you for doing that. And Dr. T, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It was such a pleasure to chat with you. <laughs> George, such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. This episode of People of Product was produced by Larissa McCarty with support from Julie Branson and Steph Inger. Our hosts are George Brooks and Daniel Linhart. People of Product is brought to you by Crema, a digital product agency. We believe that creativity, technology, and culture can help individuals and organizations thrive. Learn more at crema.us.